0: It's great to see you here in the room and uh, great to have you join us online. We know that uh, there are a lot of folks joining us online during this hour and uh, we're thrilled with those of you who've been able to come on the campus and and uh, worship with us. This has been a great time together this morning. Those baptisms, uh, I've enjoyed all three services, the baptisms. Last night, one of the men in his testimony said a friend challenged him, okay, you've been a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been baptized. And so that challenge uh, moved him to being baptized. I hope Perhaps if you, follow, you are a follower of Christ, you've accepted him as your Savior, and you have been baptized, maybe even seeing these folks uh, challenged you regarding your own baptism, maybe there's somebody you need to encourage, a brother or sister in Christ you need to encourage to uh, come to a place where they're being baptized to announce to the world they're a follower of Jesus. You know, in our world today, with all the tensions and all the uncertainties uh, of our day, it's so wonderful to see people coming to Jesus being baptized and growing in Christ, and uh, that's what the church is about, and so I'm excited. I hope this encourages you in your walk with Jesus, and uh, you've been blessed uh, this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to James chapter two, we're gonna be in James two, verses one through 13 in our continuing study of the book of James, and uh, as we look at this, we're going to look at what James calls the royal law. It's the royal law of love. He'll say that in verse eight. The royal law of love. We're going to look at what that means and how that impacts our lives. And as as Christians, what does it mean for us today and even this week? Now you think of that word love, and you hear a lot of different things about love. I came across what some children had shared with their teacher when she asked them uh, what love means. She says, What does love mean? And here are just a few of the answers. Rachel, age seven, said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis, too. That's love. Tommy, age eight, said, when someone loves you the way they say your name is different, you just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Jordan, age eight, said, love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Julia, age six, said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. And this one sounds like a challenge from Jesus himself. Michael, age seven, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with someone you don't like or you hate. Now James is gonna talk about what it means to fulfill the royal law. The royal law of love is to love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love God with everything we've got and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. Both the Old Testament, and New Testament repeat that. Jesus confirmed that. And all of God's standards when it comes to our relationships with each other are founded or hang on this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Today, as we look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, I want us to understand that when you love those who can offer you nothing in return, you experience the joy of fulfilling God's royal law of love. When you love people, not because you can get something from them, But you love people who can offer you, give you nothing in return. You really experience what it means to love your neighbors yourself. You experience the satisfaction and joy that's so fulfilling in obeying our God and extending his love to others. As we look into this passage, we're going to see four ways in which we often fail or four things that hinder us from really loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to look at these four and understand how they impact our perspective on love and loving others. The first one is found in verses 1 through 4. We fail to fulfill the royal law of love when we lack the clarity of self-awareness. Self-awareness is understanding who you are. You're really able to see your strengths and weaknesses. You can take input from others. You can adapt and adjust. You understand the person in the mirror. And to really love others, you have to have some self-awareness. But as James, the, the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem, writes to the church that's scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and some of those would have had a messianic background, he writes to them, encouraging them to take a good look in the mirror because they're missing something when it comes to the royal law of love. Let's look at James Chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. What he's going to say here is you put certain people in one category and other people in another category, and, and you treat these people differently than you treat these people. You're showing favoritism. It shouldn't happen in the church. It shouldn't happen in the lives of believers. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man With filthy old clothes also comes in. Then in verse three, he says, If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, You stand there, Uh, you sit on the floor by my feet. He says, then in verse four, You have have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not discriminated against yourselves? Haven't you made divisions? Haven't you not? You, you failed to see people with the dignity in which God created them. You failed to see people equally. Sometimes in the ancient world, they would look at poor people or people with a physical ailment or any struggle in life, anything was difficult, somebody who had, who had offended others, done sin, whatever it was, they'd put them in this category and say, okay, because you're poor, because you're powerless, you are being judged by God and you deserve to be there. So then they didn't really have to help those folks because they were under God's judgment and you didn't want to get in the way of God's judgment. Then they looked at people who are wealthy and influential and they would say, oh, because of your position, because of your success, God has blessed you and so we're gonna show you honor. That's how, it had even crept into the church. That's how they could say, we honor these people, but you sit here, you sit at my feet, a place of dishonor. That had crept even into the leadership of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jerusalem of the first century. They had, had corrupted what God said about how we treat people, and that had slipped into their thinking. Often we put people in that category where we're not going to really reach out to them or we're not really going to relate to them or love them or do something kind for them, encourage them in any way, because they're, they're in this place where either we're ignorant of them, we don't understand them, we don't like them, they frustrate us, or we think they don't deserve our attention. And then we put these other people in a place because they, we think they can give us something, they could offer us something, even being around them will make us look good. You see, when we lack the clarity of self-awareness, we fail to see how our biased behavior hurts others. It says you're discriminating among yourselves. Oh, how do you think these people feel when you treat these people this way? We hurt others. When we make judgments and we have criticism and we evaluate and we measure people and we evaluate them by the accent they have or where they're from, the culture that's different than ours, the color of their skin or the socioeconomic standing, whatever way we measure other people and we criticize and we judge them to put them in their place, that's dangerous. We're hurting people and we're here to be the people who love like Jesus loved this goes all the way back to the Old Testament laws that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Leviticus 19, verses 15 and then 18 say this Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. All the way back to as the law was given to Moses. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I'm telling you this. And it's to guide all of our relationships. We've got to be careful about who we hurt as we make judgments. We're not being self-aware. We're not seeing our own biases. Secondly, when we lack the clarity of self-awareness, we fail to see how our judgmental spirit hurts us how our judgmental spirit hurts us. He says in the last part of verse four, and you become judges with evil thoughts or evil motives. It's hurting us because it's skewing our view of people. We're not seeing people as Jesus sees people. We're seeing people for what they can give us or what they can do for us. Or or we avoid these people because it'll take investment and engagement on our part to be involved in their lives and to care for them. When we lack the clarity of self-awareness, we fail to see how the judgmental spirit rots at us and eats away at our core. Sometimes we just have this general thought, well, I love everybody, you know, and we're really not loving anybody. And there's, there's even a criticism that falls into our hearts then, and C.S. Lewis says this, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially Especially, he says, those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive to us. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. The love that James is talking about is a proactive love for others. Sometimes it takes us beyond our comfort zone we've talked over the last few months about our special abilities ministry our special needs ministry we've got that great resource of that new area uh, through your generosity where they're able to minister with rooms and even equipment and tools designed to help serve the families affected by disability uh, what a great gift but i'll tell you what i i learn a lot from the heroes who serve in ministries like care ministry and local outreach and global outreach, and our seasoned adult ministries, and come alongside and help people. But I'll tell you, the a special, a special abilities ministry, those of you who serve in that area, thank you. And I've had some who serve in that area say, you know what, this wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to hurt anybody, I didn't want to offend anybody, I didn't know what, I volunteered one time and now I'm involved, but I'll tell you what, when you see these folks, loving individuals that many in society push to the fringe you see them loving these individuals and their families, these kids and their moms and dads and brothers and sisters as their neighbors. And that's such a blessing. It's so encouraging to see that happening. That's a part of, of loving everyone equally and not putting some people in a marginalized category and then, then going after and serving those who can do something for us or offer something to us. We've got to look in the mirror and see, are there biases we have that are hurting other people? Uh, we, do we have a judgmental, critical spirit? Whenever something happens or changes or is new or whatever, are you one of those, oh, I can't be, oh, that's wrong, oh, that. you've always got an objection and you can see why it's a bad plan? That's a part of where we need to look and be self-aware. Secondly, we fail to fulfill the royal law of love, not only when we lack the clarity of self-awareness, but when we misunderstand the danger of wealth, the danger of wealth. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with wealth. But Jesus did say that it'd be hard for wealthy people to come into the kingdom of God because they have so much that they're unwilling to give up or just they want to hold on to. If God has blessed you, praise God. And God has blessed you to leverage that for his glory, to enjoy that in your own life. As they speak to a congregation here in Westlake Village, California, I know we're not all wealthy, uh, but we live in one of the areas that is one of the most affluent areas in our country. I'll tell you what, you just watch TV and look at some other areas. Leslie and I have been watching this show with Ben and Aaron called Hometown where in Laurel, Mississippi, they take a home. Somebody buys it and then they remodel it and uh, they'll buy the home for like $60,000. Where can you buy a home for twice that in our area, right? $60,000 and then they renovate it for fifty. I mean, here we're talking, you know, remodeling your bathroom or something, right? We live in an area, I understand, of affluence and, and influence, and that's why we need to really heed that there are dangers to wealth. Even Jesus said that. We've got to be careful that we don't misunderstand how wealth can get in the way of our being serious about our faith, and it can get in the way of our being serious about obeying God and loving our neighbors, Look at verses five through seven of James two. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? He says, look, and this is reflected in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about those who will inherit the kingdom of God. They're the meek, they're the poor, those who are mourning. Look at verse six. He says, but you have dishonored the poor. You've put them in this category. You've put all these people, whatever reason, in this one category, and then you have those that you you gravitate toward. But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? You see, one of the major issues that had happened that even caused some of the, the believers with a messianic background to leave Jerusalem and spread into the other parts of the Roman Empire Well, it was persecution. And it wasn't those who were poor uh, that were persecuting them. It was people of influence and and resources. They were the ones that were persecuting the church because the church had a message that was somewhat disruptive to their world and it it viewed everyone with the eyes of God. When we misunderstand the danger of wealth, we have to understand that because of what they need, poor people tend to be open to God. People who have nothing tend to be willing to listen to the hope found in Jesus Christ. They tend to be willing with open hands to receive. Because of what they have, rich people tend to be closed to God. It doesn't mean people of great means and success and influence can't be serious people of faith and enjoy what God has blessed them with. It's just often people who have achieved things and have success and have influence and have wealth, they sit back and they say, well, what do I need God for? I got it all together. I'll, I'll look to God when things fall apart. Well, that's, that's dangerous. and We need to understand that wealth, as wonderful as it can be, can, can do a lot of damage to a person's faith and to their obedience to love others. In the church today, there are some that promote a prosperity gospel that if, if you have the right kind of faith, enough faith, you live the right way, then you're going to be rich and wealthy. And that just slips back into that old thinking of the Sadducees and Pharisees. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with wealth, but there are dangers in wealth, dangers that will cause those who have to not be as open to the Lord. Thirdly, we fail to fulfill the royal law of love, not just because we lack the clarity of self-awareness and we misunderstand the danger of wealth, but thirdly, because we underestimate the seriousness of sin. Some people don't understand how serious it is that, that all of us before a holy God do not measure up. We've all sinned in one way or the other. We don't measure up to the holiness of God. And when it comes to being a follower of Christ and what we're to do as followers of Christ, part of that is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that means if we're going to do that, we obey him. And if we don't obey him, we need to take seriously our lack of obedience to God in loving our neighbor. Look at verses 8 through 11 of James 2 if you really keep the royal law found in scripture the word really here in the original is used eight times and has the idea of it's not just a passing reference if you really authentically genuinely it's true about you that you keep the royal law found in scripture now here's where he tells us what the royal law of love is love your neighbor as yourself if you do that look what he says very clearly you are doing right Now, what he's going to say is, if you don't do that, then you are doing wrong. If you care for your neighbor, show them love like you love yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, so you begin to divide people up and say, well, because of the color of your skin, because of your age, because of your gender, because of your socioeconomic standing, you're in this category, and I'm I'm really gravitating toward people like me, or I'm comfortable with, or people don't agitate me, or whatever it is, and they have something to offer me. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, who is a lawbreaker? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is is guilty of breaking all of it. Before a holy, righteous God, if I tell one white little lie, one little white lie, before a holy, righteous God, I am not perfect and pure. That's why none of us can measure up to God, because before a holy, perfect God, even one thing makes us guilty of, of all of his holy standard. Then we look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. The point being, you can't say, well, I'm okay here, but I'm not okay there. If you, if you have sinned in any way, you fall short of who God is. And we underestimate the seriousness of sin in our lives. Now he mentioned this this royal law of love. Galatians 5.14 says it this way, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command. All the other commands hang on this command when it comes to our relationships here on earth and how we live in this world amongst one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we underestimate the seriousness of sin, we usually do that because we, we don't understand two things. First of all, sins of omission are just as serious as sins of commission. Now, here's a line God has drawn. Uh, you shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't murder. I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't lie. When I cross that line and do something like that, then I have committed a sin, but God also says, I'm to love my neighbor. And If I just sit back and, and, and I say, well, I, I don't really know what that means or I don't have time for that or I get apathetic about it, I do nothing, then my sin of omission is serious before God as well. Sins of omission are just as serious as sins of commission. Secondly, violating any law is just as serious as violating every law. If you sit back and you see someone in need in your life, in your day-to-day life, and you don't reach out and love, and you see someone discouraged, you don't share an encouraging word, then you are sinning. But when we know Christ, and we love Christ, and we've experienced his love in our lives, and we want to love others, can I just give you a challenge? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you this week Take the time each night, maybe when your head hits the pillow or there's some other part of your routine before you go to bed, maybe you're brushing your teeth, just to say to the Lord, who did I miss that needed me to show them love today? Think of where you were at work and let the Holy Spirit show you. Maybe he'll just bring to mind someone you were on an online Zoom meeting with or someone you connected with or someone in your family in some way that you, know, you saw their need, but you just kind of moved on and you didn't reach out and love them. You say, well, that's kind of negative. That's looking at what just happened. Well, I think what will happen is the next day you wake up and you ask the Holy Spirit to make you aware of the people who need you to love them today. If you're a follower of Christ, just say, Lord, where did I miss a moment I could have loved someone? Lord, help me today to notice the people in my life, the opportunities right here in my home. In any way I connect with people outside of my home, let me see ways to show them love. You you might be saying, well, I've never hated anybody, I've never dishonored anybody, but have you actively, have you been actively looking for people to love? And I know in quarantine it's been a little harder and lockdown and the limits we have, But we need to be the people who seek to love others with the royal, sovereign, kingly, kingdom value of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Fourthly and finally, we fail to fulfill the royal law of love when we forget the power of mercy. When we forget the power of mercy. I wanna just make sure you understand what mercy is. When we think of God's love, that's the umbrella Of God's love toward us. God loved us so much, He sent Jesus to die on the cross to be raised from the dead so that we could have newness of life and be forgiven of our sins by faith in Christ. That's God's love toward us. And the moment I express my faith in Jesus as my Savior, that moment I did that years ago, the moment you did that years ago, or maybe today's the day you'll do that, but that moment we express our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and ask God to forgive us, we then are saved by His grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us eternal life and forgiveness. We don't deserve that. We do nothing to earn that. That's grace. God's goodness toward us that we don't deserve. He gives us what shouldn't be ours. That's grace. That's one side of love. The other side of love is God's mercy. God's mercy is where he doesn't give us what we deserve. The scriptures say that I deserve as a sinner before God God. A Christless eternity in hell, separated from God forever. That's what I deserve. That condemnation hovers over every one of us till we come to that place of putting our faith in Jesus. And once we express our faith in Christ, not only are we saved by his grace, and he gives us what we don't deserve, and an eternal home in heaven, a relationship with him, forgiveness, and new life, but he also shows us mercy. We're saved by his mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's mercy. He doesn't look at us through the eyes of judgment, but of mercy. Now look what James says on the last two verses of this passage, verses 12 and 13. Speak and act, here it is, behave, carry out yourselves, live in love like Jesus. This should be your life as a follower of Christ. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. If you go back to chapter one, verse 25, the law that gives freedom is the word of God. We often think of God's standard as he's revealed himself to us, and if we come to faith in Christ and then we live in love like Jesus, we look at how he wants us to live, and some people say that's very restrictive. It's like chains that hold us back from really enjoying life, having fun in life. Actually, it's the opposite. When we live the way God designed for us to live and calls us to live as his children, we live according to the scriptures. We are freed from the chains that would bind us, from the the sins that, come into our lives as we're bombarded by our own flesh, the devil, and the world with temptation. So he says, we're gonna be judged by the law that gives freedom, the word of God, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. We're to show mercy to others. We're gonna be judged according to God's word and mercy. And then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that phrase. Maybe you have a critical spirit when you see people, oh, they shouldn't be doing that, oh, this is, this is not right, or oh, I don't like that move. And you're constantly criticizing and judging others, and you're putting some people in a category and some people in another category. Maybe you gravitate toward people who can give you something or offer you something. There's something very dangerous about that. But when we really embrace mercy, the mercy God has shown us, and then we show that mercy to others, and we, we don't hold them to the things they've done wrong, or we don't hold them to our misunderstandings or our criticisms, but we extend mercy rather than a critical and judgmental spirit, mercy triumphs over judgmentalism. Maybe instead of writing that email to complain to your boss or complain to whoever, maybe instead of just constantly being critical in your comments with something you see going on in life or in the lives of others, you should extend mercy to them. That's a part of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. We will be judged by God's word and his mercy to us. Even as we're going into he- heaven because of what Christ has done for us, we're going to stand there either ashamed because we didn't extend mercy we carried out a judgmental spirit toward others or we made these distinctions and showed favoritism between one group over another group. We will be judged by God's word and his mercy. Ultimately, We're saved by his mercy. Titus 3, 5 says, he saved us not because of the good things we had done, but because of his mercy. If you put your faith in Christ, you've been saved by his love, grace, and mercy. If you haven't, trust Jesus today, because that judgment then will be removed. What you deserve, you won't get. What you don't deserve, you will get in his forgiveness and new life. We'd love to, if today's the day you come to Christ and put your faith in what he did for you on the cross, we'd love to just acknowledge that with you, celebrate with you, walk the journey ahead with you. Text the name Jesus to the number on the screen and our team will follow up with you. If you're in the room, you can do that. If you're in the room, we'll have a, a care team member down front. If you're online, that's a great way to connect. At the end of the broadcast, there'll be a number you can call where a pastor is on call 24-7 to pray with you, to help meet your need, answer any questions you have about what it means to know Christ as your Savior. Secondly, we will be judged by our love and our mercy to others. God calls us to show mercy to others, to take the mercy he saved us with, the mercy he shows us, the judgment he removes, and wants us to extend mercy, not a judgmental, critical spirit or dividing people and saying, because you're this way or you're this way, you go into that category, or you're this or that because you can give me something, I gravitate towards you. Micah 6.8 says, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God love mercy do you love mercy or do you have a critical judgmental spirit you carry around are are you carrying around with you the biases and and you think you're right about this and you're right about that and you know we live in a time when there's a lot of uh, criticism back and forth and amongst one another in our world and boy our world needs some mercy and we're the people who know mercy better than anybody else the people who've been saved by the grace and mercy of jesus christ Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. The mercy he's shown me should be extended in how I love and care for others. But what stops us then from loving our neighbors as ourselves? What stops us from fulfilling the royal law of love. Well, it's a, it's this lack of clarity when it comes to self awareness. It's a misunderstanding of the dangers of wealth and we gravitate toward it because we think it's going to get us something. We misunderstand, we underestimate the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of not loving our neighbor. We forget the power of mercy, the very power of mercy saved us and we can extend the power of mercy to our family, to our friends, the people who aren't living up to our expectations or they don't fit into the mold we want them to fit into. Are you loving those who can offer you nothing in return? Are you living out the royal law of love? Extending mercy to other people? I haven't really answered the question who's my neighbor when Jesus was asked that he told the story of the good samaritan he loved a jewish man beat up on the side of the road he didn't have to it was dangerous but he loved the person who was right there on his path in front of him former president jimmy carter in his book sources of my strength tells a story of being in South Florida decades ago with Habitat for Humanity. He was trying to serve and work among uh, immigrant groups there, and he discovered this intense tension between the immigrants from Cuba and the immigrants from Puerto Rico. There were even gangs that fought, and there were death threats made, and there was deep tension even between churches from the, the one camp and the other but he met a pastor named Eloy Cruz who was a Cuban immigrant pastor who had a great ministry among Cuban immigrants, but also he was loved and had a great ministry among the Puerto Rican immigrants in South Florida. And Carter couldn't understand how he'd been able to cross that bridge with all the tension, all the divide. What was it that made the difference? So he asked Pastor Cruz and Eloy Cruz responded and said, Senor Jimmy, we only need to have two loves in our lives. For God, and for the person who happens to be in front of us at any time. That's what Jesus said in the illustration of the Good Samaritan. What does it mean to love your neighbor? You love the person who's in front of you in this moment, whether it's online or in person, on the phone, whether you're texting. And whoever God puts in your path this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day, that's your neighbor. You love them like Jesus loved you. You love them. We only have two loves, love God and love your neighbor, the person who's in front of you at that moment. I'll tell you what, there's great joy that we experience when we live according to the royal law of love. Father, help us, help me to notice the people in my life today, whether that's online or in person, Lord, may we love like Jesus loved. May we extend the mercy he extended. May we understand, Lord, that we've got to look in the mirror and see where maybe we have biases and we hold back our love for certain people or we we really are excited about sharing our love with other types of people. May we see everyone, no matter who they are, through your eyes, that everyone's made in your image. They have dignity and equality with others. Lord, may people see Jesus in us as we fulfill the royal Law of love. May we not just hear this or think about it, may we leave here. Because of the new life you've given us, even as we celebrated the imagery of baptism, the new life these folks have experienced, that moment, whether it was a month ago, a year ago, or a decade ago that they accepted Christ, they were given new life. And now, as your church, we leave this place and may we in resurrection, life, and power go out and love the person in front of us at that moment, at any moment, with the mercy, grace, and love you've shown us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.